Hey, this is Donald Miller. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Before we get started, I want to tell you something that happened to me, and, it, and I think you're going to learn from it, about growing my business. When I first put up a website for StoryBrand, it was pretty elusive, pretty vague. People would go to the website, couldn't quite figure out how we could help them. And over the course of two years, we changed like the header on our website from saying, the Story Brand Workshop to the Story Brand Marketing Workshop. And then we changed the header to say, clarify your message so customers engage. And we put Story Brand Marketing Workshop kind of up at the top left. Those sound like minor changes, but they're actually huge. We have doubled revenue every year, and including, we just got a report this year, simply by clarifying our message. It takes a while to sort of sharpen all those hooks, but we've learned how to do it. I'm turning around and teaching you all of those changes, how to make those changes, how to think about your website, how to clarify your message so that you can see results like that with a free video course called 5-Minute Marketing Makeover. If you think you should be converting more of your browsers into buyers, simply go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com and I'll give you these three videos. You can either spell it out or use the number 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand Podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose noise as the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Hi, JJ. <laughs> Hi, Don. Why in the world did you read it like that? JJ, the reason I'm talking so fast is because we were both very busy, and we have to get this done very quickly. We do not have a lot of time to record this podcast, and nobody listening actually has a lot of time to listen to it. So we're going to move very fast through this whole thing. <laughs> For the people who are listening to this at 1.5 speed, that is going to cause a lot of problems. lightning fast. That's right. But it does intro the topic of today's yes. podcast, which which is busyness yeah. and how do we deal with it? Yeah. What's your strategy? I'm curious. Um, Have you developed I one? I curl up in a ball and cry. <laughs> <laughs> that's really like, I, by not choosing one of those things, that's that's really what it is. I hear so many people, you go, so how are you doing? The first thing that people say is, oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not even, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's how are you doing? I'm busy. When I opened up October in my calendar uh, there at the end of September, I looked at my schedule and I had eight free hours. Mm-hmm. In October, eight free, not Here's the funny thing. Here's what's interesting is I see your calendar because I help you book some of these events that you go to. And I came to you, do you remember this? Like a couple (laughs) days ago. And I said to you, hey, some people want you to come in and speak. You have the two days before Thanksgiving free. Are you available? Like, are you willing to go? (laughs) And we said, we need to look at your schedule a little bit. (laughs) Today, one of the hardest emails I've ever had to write, as you know, one of our clients said, come to Lambeau Field for the Seahawks game on this Sunday in December. And I had to write and say, I actually have a dinner. You're not going? I can't go. I have a dinner. Oh, no. None of that. We would be on the field. I know. (laughs) As a Seahawks fan, it broke my heart. And. uh, so, but that's the way it goes when you start getting into, you know, succeeding. And so many of our clients have successful businesses. And a lot of people are rolling their eyes going, well, well wouldn't it be lucky to be you? It's about to be you. You just wait. You're going to call me and go, I'm sorry that I criticized you. <laughs> You're going to, then you add kids to the mix and all this yeah. kind of stuff. How do you do it? So today's guest is Rory Vaden. Rory wrote a book called Take the Stairs. Mm-hmm. He runs a company called Southwestern Consulting. I just love Rory Vaden. And yeah. he's written a new book called Procrastinate on Purpose, and he just goes through a system that helps you 
he doesn't like the word manage your time, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he helps you figure out how to organize your schedule in such a way that it's efficient, that you have good work-life balance. We can all use a summary and a reminder of how to do this. JJ, you listened to the interview after yeah, I yeah. talked to Roy. What did you get out of it? What were some of the big takeaways for well, you? One of the things what you just mentioned is he doesn't really like the idea of time management. I mean, we all have the same amount of hours in the day, but he talks about self-management. Mm. And so he talks a little bit about how to kind of manage yourself in making choices. When you made a choice to not go to Lambeau Field, it's not because you didn't want to go to Lambeau Field. It's because you were actually prioritizing. Right. And you were saying, I'm going to do this other thing that actually takes priority that will ultimately bring something different to my life. And so when you say no to something, you're actually saying yes to something else. I like that perspective too, when he talks about managing yourself and not your time, because psychologists have more or less proven that if you have a high external locus of control, mm -hmm. that is if the things that control your life tend to be outside of you, mm -hmm. if that's how you see the world, mm -hmm. you are more given to depression, you're likely not going to make as much money, your relationships aren't as strong, yep. all these things. But an internal locus of control saying, hey, it's not time that I have to manage, it's me that I have to manage yeah. and I can do it. Those are closely related characteristics to rises in income, in status, healthier relationships, healthier self-esteem. Yeah. So Rory really guides us through an incredibly important paradigm shift that's going to be really critical for us yeah, to understand. It's very practical. Some of the things we walk through yeah. what he calls the focus funnel, where it shows you how to focus your time and your energy and prioritize. It also involves eliminating things, automating things delegating things. It's really great. And he gives you permission as an introvert. Yeah. Because I'm an introvert. I'm an Even introvert though people too. don't think that about us, but we actually are both introverts. Yeah. As Give soon as the recording stops, we just lay down on the floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even want to be with you right now. No. Yeah, JJ is actually holding a book up waiting for me to stop talking so you can continue reading. <laughs> so true. Um, but it, he really talks about like, so what's that look like for somebody who gets requests all the time to be with people and how to address that? Some of the things he talked about there were some great tips for me personally. Well, for as a matter of managing our time and managing ourselves, we should probably stop talking and <laughs> yes. get straight to the yes. interview. Yes. Rory is smarter than us at this. Here is Rory Vaden talking about how to manage your time. Nope, how to manage yourself. Yes. Rory Vaden. Rory, my friend, so very good to have you. Thank you, buddy. It's great to be here. It's been too long. It has been too long. I feel like we live in the same town. We'd probably hang out all the time if we had time. Yes, but, but. <laughs> which is what we want to talk about. <laughs> I just confess to you, because you're actually really good at this. I just confess to you that tonight I have dinner with a friend. I actually uh -huh. texted a friend yesterday. Say, hey, do you want to get dinner and catch up? It can't be true, but it feels like it's been five years since I've done that mm. because I'm so busy. Yeah. And uh, I don't mind being busy. This is not a quality of life problem because I like my work. I like the people I work with, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. But I'm realizing more and more, I don't have an actual social life. I've lost my, <laughs> I lost the thing that you're working to build. We had tacos together one time. We, we did, did have, have tacos, tacos together. <laughs> uh, and I love, I go back to that taco place all the time now. But but yeah, you're right. I mean, the social it's not, challenge. It's not common enough. And th that's changing for my life because I've learned some principles. And also I've staffed some stuff that I used to be busy with. Mm. But you have written a book, Procrastinate on Purpose, about this very issue. And I thought, Man, you know, our listeners, they're all driven. They all are trying to build something, get a vision in the world, whether it's a company or a personal brand or whatever. And managing time is a constant issue. Mm -hmm. And you've got not only a strategy that we'll get into, but you've got a philosophy of why it's important. 
I'm just a huge admirer of you, as you know, and I, I thought maybe you could give our audience a little wisdom that might help them uh, expand their time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm excited about it. We're going to talk about multiplying time and not just managing time. Managing time is a bit of a cuss word in your vernacular, right? It is. <laughs> it is. Because you can't manage time. Right. right? It's there, going. It's going, right? You can't stop time. You can't rewind time. You can't fast forward time. Time goes on. There is no such thing as time management. There is only self-management. Hmm. That's and, a pretty good paradigm shift. Yeah, it's a huge paradigm shift, right? Because even the whole idea of like, I'm busy, we say I'm so busy. Well, it almost puts us in this victim role of the story where it's like, it's something that's happening to me as if I'm powerless. It's like, I am the result of this busy life. And the reality is we're, we are 100% in control of our choices. And anything that is on my calendar was either made or allowed by me. And so you can't manage time. You can only manage yourself. Isn't it true that, and I think most of our leaders who are listening get into this, you sort of manage it for a bit or you practice this internal locus of control because I agree with you about this whole external versus internal locus of control. But if that works, you grow out of your bounds, things get uncomfortable and pretty soon you're out of control and you got to start over yeah. for some other phase. It feels like it never really ends, right? Well, you know, like in Take the Stairs, we say success is never owned. It's only rented and the rent is due every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like this ongoing thing. But I think that the real shocker to me going through this journey, because I didn't write this from a place of I've got it figured out. I wrote this book from a I'm completely overwhelmed. Southwestern Consulting is growing like crazy and I'm buried and I'm like, how do you keep up with this all? And so we went out and just did research and we studied and, and did sampling and we, you know, we're a coaching company. So we're, right. we're working with people in their daily lives. But the most powerful part of the whole journey for me was something that I learned from a two-year-old. Um, it <laughs> Who was, tends to, you know, manage their time well. <laughs> well, so here's what happened. You know, Dustin, one of my business yes, partners, yeah, Dustin. Sure. So he has this little baby girl who at the time she was like two and a half, maybe three years old. And her name is Haven. I don't know if you've ever met her, but I don't think I've met Haven. I love. She Dustin. has this Haven. big, like curly brown hair and these sweet brown eyes. And we live in Nashville, of course, so she has a little Southern accent already developing. Right. It's adorable. So Dustin and I, we were having it was a Saturday, and we're having this international leaders planning retreat. And so I go over. We don't usually work on Saturdays, but this was like people flying in from other countries and stuff. And so I'm going over early in the morning to pick up Dustin, and we're walking out of the house. And Haven comes sprinting down the hallway. Like she wakes up, comes down the hallway and she leaps and she grabs Dustin's leg and she looks at him and she goes, daddy, where are we going? And he looks at her and says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, baby Haven. Daddy has to actually go to work today. And her eyes well up with tears. Mm. And she says, no, daddy, please no work today. No work, daddy. And in that moment, I realized two things. The first is that I'm not quite ready for children just yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> you would not go to work that day. I, I, I was like, ah. But the, but the second thing, and this was so powerful for me, was I realized that, you know, I've been a student of time management, of seven habits of high effective people, getting things done. I mean, I read the books, I go to the seminars. And what I, dawned on me in that moment was that everything that I had ever learned about time management was all tips and tricks tools and technology, calendars and checklists. In other words, every strategy relating to our time was all logical. Yeah. And in that moment, looking at Little Haven, I realized that today time management is no longer logical. It's completely emotional. And our feelings of guilt, 
and worry and anxiety and our desire to feel successful and our need to impress other people, those things are what dictate our time much more than what is in our inbox mm. or on our calendar. So and really, if you hand somebody who hasn't figured out their inner life a bunch of tools, they're just going to use these tools to multiply time in areas where they shouldn't be in, in in the first place because they're doing it because they're guilty or people pleasing or whatever. Here's what they do. They end up engaging in, this is a term from Take the Stairs, what we call priority dilution, which is the new procrastination. And it affects the movers and shakers, the chronic overachievers, the leaders, the managers, probably like the people listening to this yeah. because it's the same as classic procrastination that you leave the office at the end of the day with your most significant priorities left unchecked. But the reason is not because you're lazy or apathetic or disengaged like a classic procrastinator. The reason is because you allow your attention to shift to less important but perhaps more urgent tasks and your the emotions start to dictate your actual calendar and your use of time. I got an email from a friend this week and it said, Don, I need your help. I have had eight people ask me to go to coffee today. I think he went to church or something. Yeah. <laughs> and... uh they all want to know how they can someday do what I do. Yeah. And they're all loving, wonderful people who we'd love to invest in if we could, but they're all there to take something rather than to give and take something or exchange value. And I hate to prioritize or deprioritize people like that. I didn't have a lot of good advice for them, Roy. I didn't know how to help them really get out of that. I have some, you know giving off the feel of an introvert, writing a blog saying, I'm not going to have coffee yeah. with me, those kinds of things, which are probably not the healthiest ways to, <laughs> to shake people. What do I tell them? Because everybody listening probably has people demanding on their time and they're probably giving up some of that time so that they don't have to deal with the hard thing that's actually important in their life right now. Yeah. How do we shake that? So before I answer the question specific, let me talk about the sort of the conceptual piece of this and then we'll go into the practical. Gotcha. The other major difference in the way that multipliers think about time than everybody else, the first is that it's emotional, not logical, is multipliers make something that we refer to now as the significance calculation. And it builds on Dr. Covey's time management matrix, which was the y-axis was importance, the x-axis was urgency, probably mm. the most copyright infringed upon <laughs> piece of intellectual property of all time, right? right like if you've yeah. taken time management, you've seen it. Well, what we noticed in the multipliers, the ultra performers, we noticed there's this new type of thinker who has emerged, who accomplishes exponential results in the same amount of time as everybody else. And the reason why is because most people don't make the significance calculation consciously. So here's the difference. Urgency is how soon does it matter? Importance is how much does it matter? Mm. But significance is different. Significance is how long is this going to matter? Hmm. In other words, how is this going to play out tomorrow and the next day and the next day? And the significance calculation changes everything because it changes the context of which you make decisions. Absent the significance calculation, most of us live in a 24-hour paradigm of one day and we wake up and we say, what's the most important thing I have to do today? And when that happens, our emotions really take over because whatever's pulling me right now is what I spend time on. But when you make the significance calculation, multipliers don't ask what's the most important thing I can do today. Multipliers ask the question, how can I use my time in a way today that makes tomorrow better? You and I both live in a world where we have a deadline on a book. Yeah. And that deadline is a year away or 18 months away. We know that it is both important and significant. Likely, the most important and significant thing we've got to work on is that book. Sure, perhaps. But urgent is somebody wanting to get together to talk about X, which 
is going to be important for them to finish doing something today or whatever. I am unbelievably guilty of taking that urgent call and putting off the significant and important thing of finishing this book when that book can change grow the company. I mean, you know, it can explosive growth in the company. It's like hiring an entire sales force, except you're getting paid for them for that force rather than paying for that force. Nothing could be more important, but it doesn't feel important at all because we have 18 months to get that thing done. Here's the missing piece. And this answers your friend's question. When we think of the book, we think of, we have 18 months. When the person asks us to coffee next week, our significance perspective collapses to it's like it's next week. So this is the first permission. Okay, the first step in the focus funnel is eliminate. It's the permission to ignore. And you basically have to learn to say no. I mean, it's simple, right? Tell the person no. Yeah, simple logically, not not simple emotionally. But not emotionally, right? And I had a problem with this. The reason I know this so clearly is because when I was interviewing one of the multipliers that we profiled, I said, I don't like this. I don't like the idea of I'm going to be a no person. Like I got to where I am by saying yes and taking advantage of opportunities and networking. And it's a big thing. I hear some leaders say all the time, you should be accessible. There should never be anybody who's not important. And that just leaves me feeling guilty. So the guilt is the problem. That's the emotion. And here's what the multiplier said to me. They said, Rory, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard anybody say. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like Thanks. mean mean girl. And um, But here's what they explained. They said, you're trying to go through life never saying no because you don't want to upset anyone and you feel guilty about telling them no. What you don't realize is that it is futile and literally impossible to go through life never saying no because you're always saying no to something. Anytime you say yes to one thing, you're simultaneously saying no to an infinite number of others. And so when we evaluate the decision to have coffee, we're evaluating that decision only based upon the ask, which is should we have coffee? We have ignored the backdrop of the other things In other words, the significance calculation. So you say, if I'm saying yes to this, what would I be saying no to as a result? Should I say yes to the coffee and in doing so, no to a writing session on the book, no to this? That's the calculation we've got to bring up here. What am I saying no to? Exactly. It's kind of obvious right now that we talk about it. But the problem is until you bring that significance calculation into your conscious mind, your emotions, which is a different actual part of the brain, will dictate and guide your behavior because we're not programmed for success. We're programmed for survival. And the emotional impulses that are part of a different segment, the animal part of our brain, will cause us to submit to the emotion, whereas the cerebral part, like the prefrontal cortex, that logical part, you have to consciously make that significance calculation to win that battle. Okay, we are diving into the five permissions that you grant in this book. Yes, yes. And also the five things that we do once that we have those permissions. You call it the focus funnel. Yes. So by ignoring or by giving us permission to reject some of this stuff that's coming our way, it gives us the freedom to eliminate that. Is that right? Yeah. So if you picture a funnel and you just imagine like all your stuff you have to do coming in the top, the thought process of the focus funnel is it's our attempt to create a visual depiction that sort of codifies the way that multipliers think. So they ask, can this be eliminated? Is it even worth doing? It's the permission to ignore, to say no based on what else I would be saying yes to. Now, if you can't eliminate the task, then it drops down to the middle of the funnel, which is automate. If it can't be automated, then it drops down to the bottom of the funnel, which is delegate. If it can't be eliminated, automated, or delegated, then that task falls out the bottom of the focus funnel. At that point, you have a task that must be done, and it must be done by you, 
But there's one remaining key question, which is must the task be done now or can it wait until later? If it must be done now, that's not eliminate, automate, or delegate. That's concentrate, the permission to protect. And that's a conversation about focus. But the fascinating part is if you intentionally answer the question, can this wait until later, and you say the answer is yes, then that is not eliminate, automate, or delegate. That is procrastinate, but procrastinate on purpose. The title of the book. The title of the book. So we call it POP for short. Now, you're not going to procrastinate on it forever. You're going to pop that activity back to the top of the focus funnel, and it's going to enter into a holding pattern, at which point it's going to cycle through the focus funnel until one day one of the other four strategies will get executed on it. So one thing to do with your coffee scenario is to say no. Another one is to say no. So that's no, eliminating. That would be eliminating. It never even gets to automating because we don't do coffee. That's right. In one sentence, I haven't said this because the book is not really about procrastination. Take the Stairs is more about procrastination. This book is about how to multiply time. Right. And the way you multiply time is by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on things today that give you more time tomorrow. You know, I started going to bed at nine and trying to get up between five and six or so in the riding shed by 7 a.m. Okay. Staff shows up at around 9 a.m. I crawl out of the riding shed about 9.30. That's 30 minutes after people arrive. And I've already done two and a half hours of what's important. Yeah. Then something happens. And you would probably psychoanalyze me and say, I'm letting something happen. Okay. That, uh, you know, it's just some sort of distraction. It's something exciting that's taking place in the life of the company that I want to contribute to or some little thing I can build that will collect us more email addresses or a meeting that I can have to help other people focus, those kinds of things. But I've found that I either need to go off to a cabin to get that riding done for weeks at a time, or I need to be in the shed at 7 a.m. It's really been life-changing for me, and I'm not consistent about it, but I get two to three days a week doing life that way. Hmm. And I've found that if it's important and I'm not up doing it first thing, it's not going to happen. I mean, it probably won't happen the rest of the day. Do you organize your time in such a way that are there basic strategies like that that you also yeah, use? Yeah, well, that's concentrate. That's the permission to protect, basically right. to create an environment where it is impossible to be interrupted. And that is once you get to the bottom of the focus funnel and you have clarified really what your priority is, then you realize at that point, until you accomplish that thing, everything else is a distraction, everything else. And you're setting up your life in a way to minimize the temptation of a distraction coming in, which is a great strategy. It's the same. We teach salespeople to have a golden hour where they close the door, turn off their email, they ignore all incoming phone calls. And for one hour a day, all they're allowed to do is make outbound phone calls. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't eat. You can't drink. <laughs> like one hour a day, all you can do is make outbound phone calls. That's the same kind of concept. But I think the f more fascinating part of the discussion with you is why do you get pulled into the other things? And it's hard as business owners and leaders to resist getting pulled in because we feel like, and not only do we feel like, we very much have something to add. We have something to contribute. This is more closely correlated with delegate, which is the permission of imperfect. And the emotion is... If we start to look at why don't we delegate, there's sort of two parts. One is people say, well, it's just faster for me to do it myself, mm -hmm. or it's better for me to do it yeah. myself. I'm the only one who can do it the way I want it done. That's right. Yeah. So it's worth deconstructing both of those. Is it really faster and is it really better? Yeah. 
Well, I love this idea. I'm going to go through the focus funnel, but then I want to back up. I want to go through the five permissions because okay. they sound very intriguing. Okay. Um, one, can we eliminate this thing? Can if we, we can eliminate it, let's eliminate it. Now, this is interesting. One of the things I told my buddy who wanted some advice on how he could get out of coffee was, you know, I've got a staff who pretty much knows to say no to everything and they protect me. Yeah. They know I'm going to want to help right. whoever it is who wants help. The staff eliminates a lot of stuff for me too. Is there a strategy there to sell our staff? delegate. That's, yeah, that's delegating the no. That's delegating. That yeah, that's delegating and protecting. That's creating a, a little wall around. I say that's yeah. like part delegate, part concentrate. But there's a whole world, and people need to read this book. There's a whole world about eliminating, and there's a way to do it. You know, there's a great book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen, Love that book, yeah. and I just I just had Greg on my podcast, and we bantered, which was really fun. Yeah, I think his book really really focuses on that eliminate piece. It's huge. Yeah, I got an email. I tried to introduce Michael Hyatt, who we both know and love. Yeah, emailed Michael and said. Hey, I really want you to meet this person. It was a significant person who was very networked, and I thought Michael would really benefit from getting together. And I got the most lovely email from probably somebody who was not Michael, right? But <laughs> but They're Michael had best. written it a long time ago. They're so good at it. It was a, it was like a two page email about why he does not want to be introduced to this person. It was the most kind, thoughtful thing. I think I had much more respect for Michael after I read that email than I did before, which is hard to do because I respect him so much. There are ways to automate, delegate, and eliminate all in one. Well, and you can say no and still be nice. Yeah. In fact, you can make a game out of it of how nice can you say no. You know, one of the stories about the author I was asking for an endorsement who turned me down after it was like the fourth or fifth time I asked them or something, you know, not not in a row, but over years um, when I finally got my book deal, the first book deal, he sent me a handwritten rejection note. Mm. And I really appreciated the way he said it. It's just, you know, I don't lend my personal endorsement to something I'm not directly acquainted with. Right. And right now I don't have the capacity to become acquainted with the work. And so for that reason, I can't say yeah, no. That's a lovely way to say it. Yeah. Eliminate, automate, delegate. This is the focus funnel. If a task gets through that, you still procrastinate. It basically has to be a really important thing to get through to you. It has to be, and that is the key. The significance and importance. Is you're filtering it through. Part of the strategy, like you hear people say, you know, you got to have a to-do list, you know, have a calendar. I'm not necessarily opposed to those tools, but when you talk to multipliers, they would cite a not to-do list as being much more valuable than a to-do list. Wow. And they would cite a calendar as being somewhat dangerous because things get onto your calendar and you're no longer doing critical thinking about evaluating when that time actually comes. Is that the best use of your time? A multiplier, in fact, would say every day when you wake up, throw everything off your calendar and make it fight its way back on the calendar even for that day. Which is very bold, right? It's and bold because you're ticking people off at that point, And you point, don't right? want to tick people off. And if you're in a corporate environment, but even the mentality of working at it from the inverse, yeah, it's a powerful idea to go, just because something made it on my calendar doesn't mean it has to stay there necessarily. It, or yeah. it could be automated. We haven't talked about automate is powerful or it could be delegated or it can be moved. And I'm not advocating rescheduling on people. Yeah, sure. Day <laughs> Every day. By any means. But in general the process of always asking, is this multiplying my time? Is this activity right now helping me create more time or more results tomorrow? It's thinking in terms of scale and exponential influence always. It's interesting. I I just had dinner with a leader of a company in Charlotte and he's 39. He's about to go in his 40s and I'm 45. And he was asking, what's it like? And my 30s were great. And I said, 20s, you discover 30 is your power decade because you've got all sorts of power. You've got a few resources and you know who you are. And I said, 40s, honestly, your brain chemistry slows down. 
but it's all about leverage, mm. leveraging your time, leveraging your impact, leveraging your influence. And it's amazing how much more slowly you can move in your 40s and how much more you can get, get done, done because you know how to do it. So you're describing leverage here. That's okay. automation. You, by you're going to have to read Procrastinate on Purpose in order to, to really understand the focus funnel. If you have had a problem, quote unquote, managing your time, very bad words for Rory, Rory's world because you can't manage time, but some fantastic tools there. But I don't want to let you go, Rory, without actually just giving us a cursory explanations of the five permissions that you're giving people when it comes to multiplying their time. Permission number one, the permission to, to ignore. ignore. We've all got to start yes. practicing this. Everybody today, yep. start practicing saying no to something, especially those time thieves that are getting, that are just stealing your dreams. Your dreams are beautiful. Their dreams are helping your family. They're helping your staff. We aren't just saying no on our behalf. We're saying no because this is going to cost people money, career, yes. time. That's the significance Emotional calculation security. is adding all those other things into the equation. Got to start saying no. Permission number two is the permission to invest. It's the automate part. Yeah. What are you giving us permission to do there? If I ask the average person, hey, do you have two hours open in your calendar today that you could set up online bill pay? They would be like, no. I don't remember the last day I had two hours open in my calendar. Right, right. Do you guys remember what it felt like to be bored? There was actually a time in our <laughs> lives where we were bored. I don't remember what that feels like, but- they would say, if I had two hours, the last thing I would use that two hours to do is set up online bill pay. But a multiplier would look at that differently. A multiplier goes, look, if I spend two hours today setting up online bill pay, and that saves me 30 minutes every month for paying my bills going forward, then after just four months time, I will have broken even on that investment. And then every month thereafter, I will be getting something that we call ROTI, return on time invested. And one of the catchphrases from the TED Talk and everything is that automation is to your time what compounding interest is to your money. Mm, yeah. So in the next generation, I think cost savings is not so much about saving money as it is about saving time. But you have to give yourself the permission to invest because you will never have the time to set up a better system. You will never have extra money just laying around to set up the better system. Just like wealthy people never have extra money laying around to invest. You have to give yourself the permission to give up something in the short term to make that investment. This is the third permission, delegating the permission of imperfect. Yeah. Is that the permission to say, I have liabilities and I need somebody else to cover for this? So here's how this works. When it comes to delegate, we usually say, like if you ask the average leader, are there things you're doing every day that someone else could be trained to do? They would say, well, yeah, of course. And you go, well, why, have, why haven't you taught them to do that? Right. They would say, well, it's just faster for me to do it myself. And so I want to introduce something called the 30X rule. So the 30X rule suggests that you should consider spending 30 times the amount of time it takes you to do the task once yourself on training someone else to do that task for you. So for example, let's say it takes a task super simple, five minutes a day. And you go, it's not a big deal. It takes me five minutes. I knock it out. The 30X rule suggests that you should consider spending 150 minutes, 30 times five, 100, so two and a half hours right. training someone to do that task. And here's where I lose people. They go, Roy, that is so stupid. Why would I spend two and a half hours training someone to do a task that I could do in five? And the answer is you wouldn't- Just 30 days later. Unless you make the significance yeah. calculation. Because when you think about- that time, five minutes a day for just one year is like 1,250 minutes on that task. So you're really, over the long period of time, it makes sense. The answer is just as obvious, but it's the complete opposite of what you thought originally, which is you should absolutely spend that time because you're going to get a net return 
that's dramatic. I mean, if it's, you know, 250 working days in a year. So it's not really a time issue. It's really a perfection issue. Right. Well, that's interesting because I think there'd probably be a lot of pushback from listeners saying, yeah, but they're not going to do it the way I want it done. And my experience has been, if it is something that only you can do the best at, you should do it. And that should be in your wheelhouse. But this is almost never the case. When I have asked people to take over territory for me, almost always with my staff, with very few exceptions, they've shocked me at how much better they were at it than I was. So not only am I getting compounding interest on my time, I'm actually getting a better work done on that than I could have done myself. And I would say, if you really think that they're not going to do as good a job as you, then you've hired the wrong person. Right. You should be hiring people, as we always say here, who are smarter Smarter and better than than you are. So here's the thing about that. Actually, the person who's afraid of them not doing it, they won't do it as well as you. I'm going to edify that and say, you are absolutely right. They will not do it as well as you the first time, Hmm. maybe the second time, maybe the third time. But when you make the significance calculation, once that person does it for the hundredth time, just like it took you a while, exactly what you're saying, Don, they're not only going to be able to do it as well as you, they're going to do it better. Fourth permission is the permission to procrastinate. I think this is the one that people are licking their chops going, please, please tell me it's true. But I have a feeling you're not going to give us the great news that we want. Yeah. What do you mean by procrastinate? You really mean like meditate on it for a while and see if this should even be in your task list? Is that what you mean? I get some flack on this actually, Don, because they say, <laughs> and take the stairs, you said procrastination is the killer of all success. You said it's the foundation of mediocre life and now procrastinate on purpose. Like what's up with that? There's a big difference in waiting to do something that you know you should be doing, but you don't feel like doing it. Mm-hmm versus waiting because you're deciding that now is not the right time. Waiting to do something you know you should do, like I know I should pay my taxes and I don't feel like doing it. That's procrastination. I know I should go work out, I don't feel like doing it. That's procrastination. I know I should make the sales call, I know I should have the tough conversation. That is all procrastination. That's the killer of all success, the foundation of mediocre life. Like that is not what we are advocating. That is very different from saying, I'm waiting to do something intentionally because I'm deciding that now is not the right time. We're not going to take on that new project, even though I think it's a great project. We have other projects that are in the queue that we need to get done and clear the queue first. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop and clean my desk right now because I have to make this phone call and my desk can be dealt with at some other point. I don't have to be incessantly chained to my email 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because I have to create margin in order to have focus on projects that really matter. That is procrastinating on purpose. There's a synonym for that, by the way, which is patience. It's the permission of incomplete. The permission to say, even though that might be good, even though I might need to do that, it doesn't need to really be done now, at least not at the expense of the other significant priorities. We have a Slack channel that's just called Parking Lot. Our CEO came up with this. So let's just create something called Parking Lot, put those ideas in the parking lot, but allow us to capture really great ideas that we are choosing not to work on right now. Choosing not to work on. Yeah, and this is the hardest thing for me because I mean, when I'm on mile 23 of that book and I know I've got three more miles to go, you know what I'm thinking about? The next Next book. book. (laughs) Yeah, me too. too. And 23 through 26 are important miles. Those are editing miles. That's where you really refine the book. You cannot go on to the next book. We've got to finish. Fantastic stuff. The fifth permission is the permission to concentrate, the permission to protect. Mm -hmm. What is that? That's exactly what you're doing in your writing shed. It is the permission to be unavailable 
even if for a short period of time, uh, we refer to it as a harvest season. Mm-hmm. We really balance is another bad word around me. Probably we don't have time to get into it, but <laughs> we prefer much more that the concept that life happens by imbalancing and having protected seasons of focus on even a daily schedule, like protecting your two hours in the shed and seasons of your life. Like, hey, I'm going back to school right now. So that's a season. Or I have young kids. That's a season. Or I'm launching a new business. That's a season. And when you really get into problems is when you have conflicting seasons of things happening at the same time. So it's all about the permission to be unavailable. It's it's realizing that until you accomplish that next most significant priority, everything else is a distraction. Yeah. I've learned so much from just saying, I actually have a planner that I fill out every day. I created it myself. And it lets me fill out a, a big to-do list, maybe 15 or 20 things that need to get done. That's at the bottom of the page. But then there are three major places to put the three important things that I want to do today. Mm. I don't think I've filled out all three in a year. Oh, so just one or two. I'm just down to one or two. And I can't believe how much more I get done when I say, yes, I have to go pick up the dry cleaning. Yes, I have to do this. But that's junk drawer. This is what's on top of my desk. This thing and this thing. And even just the – because really what you're talking about, Rory, is how to organize your mind so that you multiply – time and it's fantastic stuff listen the book is called procrastinate on purpose by rory vaden you can pick it up almost anywhere i've seen it in airports they can also go to rorivadenblog.com to find out more about you uh rory you've been a terrific guest thank you so much for coming by my pleasure buddy and now the segment of the building a story brand podcast called how'd they do it in which we talk to a story brand alumni who has learned the framework, executed the framework, yeah. and seen a result. And this one is heartwarming. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> when I got to talk to Christine Zerbeck from LifeWater, they are the oldest clean water organization in the United States, yeah. a nonprofit that goes into the most difficult areas of the world and does water and sanitation work. So like in war-torn areas like the Congo and places that you just shouldn't go, actually. Yeah, yeah. They Dangerous. go in and do this work. And getting a chance to talk to Christine and how we got to, as StoryBrand, be a part of the work that they're doing. They were able to go through the framework, clarify their messaging. She'll talk about this. But they actually, they do this yearly gala. And from last year to this year, their giving increased by 100%. Doubled. Doubled. Because at the gala, because we've all been to these things, there's a, yeah. a chicken dinner and then somebody <laughs> yes. gets up and makes announcements. <laughs> then they show a video. Then they pass out these cards yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But what you say in the announcement yes. and what you say in the video yep. and what you say on the card can mean a 100% increase. Yeah. And the amount of funds that are given at the dinner. Yeah. And that directly translate into more wells in hard to reach areas for people who desperately need it. Especially Ethiopia, right? uh, Well, yes. She told us one story that when she mentioned it, it gave me chills. It literally gave me chills because she talked about how the women in Ethiopia, when they were asking them how this made a difference, is that they were finally able to name their babies. Because they lived long enough to be able to get names. So the fact that we got to be a part of this, I love this organization, lifewater.org. I just had a great time talking with Christine. Well, let's hear it from Christine on what they did and why it worked. Can't think of a more important cause. Hello? Hey, Christine. It's JJ from StoryBrand. Hey, JJ. How's it going? Good. How are you? 
I'm doing really well, thank you. Um, Christine, I have to tell you that I am a big fan of your organization. I've been following you guys for a long time because I have some friends who used to work with you, and it turned out you guys ended up going through the online version of StoryBrand. Yeah, we did. That's awesome. So tell our listeners what LifeWater does. Sure, sure. Yeah. So LifeWater, we are a Christian nonprofit water organization, and our focus is really on helping vulnerable children and families that live in very remote and rural areas of Africa and Asia. We help them get life-saving clean water. I love that. And when you say remote, you really mean remote. You guys go to some of the hardest areas in the world. Yeah, we are talking about very remote locations. So if you've traveled in East Africa or even parts of Asia, there's like a road and we are hours off of that road. So oftentimes you can't even get a vehicle to some of the communities that we're serving. So when you decided to go through the story brand process, what were some of the problems you were facing in your communication? One of the problems that we faced was really having a clear message. I think as an organization, if you had asked, you know, a couple of years ago, one of our staff members, a volunteer or a donor, what we actually did, you probably would have gotten five different answers if you yeah. had five different people. So <laughs> yeah. I think for us, it was really just not having that clear message. Um, another issue that we faced, I know, like with our website was we had a really high bounce rate. So we were getting great um, people, a lot of people coming to our website, but they were not staying around very long. So we kind of identified there's a big problem there with how we're communicating. Yeah, especially because you guys are doing amazing work. You want people to know about that. So then you mm -hmm. go through the story brand process. And what are some things that kind of jumped out at you that you learned through that? Yeah, taking our team through the online story brand process was really amazing. I think one of the things that absolutely stood out was that, um, as you guys talk about, like that hero shift of yeah, like really yep. who is the hero. And so we, we realized that our story, unfortunately, had been really about us as the hero and not about the real heroes. So the heroes like Esnino, who's a mom living in southern Ethiopia, and she walks eight hours every day to gather five gallons of water for her family. But now she has a water source nearby, and she's uh. one of those heroes. But because she gained back those hours, it's really the donor that provided those funds to be the hero to help her. So yeah. it's kind of, we realized we need to celebrate those heroes because they're the really, really the ones who are making it happen. So what are some of the things after you realized that you were not the hero anymore? What were some things that changed in your marketing? Yeah, I mean, I think it was like really then clarifying our role as the guide and our plan and mm -hmm. how to clarify that message and when to kind of introduce it. We had um, a couple things that we changed initially. We were working on two major projects. So one of them was we were redesigning our website. And so with our website, we actually kind of took the experience of our website, goes through the story brand kind of framework of talking about a character and then you get into the problem, which in our world is the water and sanitation yep. crisis. Yep. Um, and then you move on to our approach, which is our plan. And then with a very clear call to action. So yeah. when you get to our website, you can kind of go through that framework right away, which was huge. And then another thing that we were working on, we had a huge gala event. And so it was really focusing of what is the message we want to share and how do we do this more clearly now that we've gone through the process. So when you made those changes to your website and to the gala, what kind of results did you see afterwards? The results were amazing, actually. After yeah. applying StoryBrand to our yearly gala, gala we um, increased giving by 100%, which <laughs> meant that we were able to, yeah, which was uh, awesome. I love that. Um, 
Yeah, and through generous donors, we were able to provide 30 wells for um, communities in rural Ethiopia. I remember watching a video from your founder, and he talked about going into one of these areas and then returning 10 years later or so and talking about the difference. Mm -hmm. He was talking to some of the people in the community, and one of the people that he talked to literally said, he's asked, what's the difference that this is making? And I believe she said, the babies don't die anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be over dramatic about this, but literally babies are not dying anymore because you guys are able to clarify your message, get more people involved and make a bigger difference on the ground. That is unreal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That is so cool. Thank you, JJ. We're so excited. I mean, even a more recent story too is a mom in Ethiopia who told us now they can actually name their babies. So historically, they weren't doing that because the young kids were dying of waterborne disease. And now because donors are giving generously and we're able to do this great work, um, kids are living and moms are able to name their babies. So for 40 years, we've been seeing it. It's it's amazing. And we're so thankful to have our message <sighs> much more clearly shared. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I love that we got to be a part of this in just a tiny little way. But you guys are doing amazing work. I actually use your website as a great example for other nonprofits who struggle with how do you identify the people you are serving as the hero? How do you write that story? You guys do a great job of that. And then you also throw in a little bit of the donor hero of showing how when people give, how it impacts their lives. Because sometimes nonprofits struggle with, do I focus on the people we're serving and make them the hero or do I focus on the donor? And you guys do a fantastic job of focusing on the people you're serving with throwing in a little bit of the donor. It's pretty incredible. Thank you. Yeah, you definitely it. cannot have one without the other. You guys have done a great job of implementing this with your event and your website. What tips would you give to other nonprofits who are looking to improve their message? First off, you need to go through the story brand. You have to actually get the workbook and go through it. Yeah, um, well, it, it does. You. It takes you know a considerable amount of time, and it yeah. can be uncomfortable because as you do it as a team, you have people with different answers. You know, yep. and you really have to work through that. So, I mean, the first thing is trust the process. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but it's true. Um, you really have to do it. And then one thing that we learned too is oftentimes we're talking at such a higher level than people really want to uh, experience yeah. on a website. Yep. So, you know, as people are perusing the internet, you know, after work, they don't want to read a doctoral thesis on the water crisis. So yeah. for us, you know, we, we work with a lot of really smart people, which is great, but you have to simplify your message and kind of bring it down a notch. So I think that was one thing um, I would definitely tell people. One tip is just really make it simpler. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of my main suggestions. Yeah. And you guys have seen the results of that. I love this. I love what you guys are doing. I love that you've been able to clarify your message. You're doing a fantastic job with all of this. And the best thing about it is that lives are being changed on both sides of the ocean. Christine, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today and share a little bit of your story and give some tips to other nonprofits who can implement this as well. Thank you so much, you guys, for this opportunity. It was really great. Thank you. If you have a business that you think has the potential to change the world, even to change somebody's life with your product or service, but you're struggling with how to communicate it, you just look at the blinking cursor on the page, you're not sure what to say in the email or on your website or in your elevator pitch, I've got a tool for you. All that can change today. You can have confidence. You can be a marketing and messaging ninja. 
Just visit 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. You can either spell it out or use the number. It doesn't matter. 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. I'm going to show you three short videos that will give you confidence in your communication. Go to 5minutemarketingmakeover.com. Music from this episode is from the album Black Bear by Andrew Bell, which you can listen to on Spotify or download on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose, noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.